We've been working our way through the book of Mark, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you remember, it was knowing him, accepting what he's done, and denying ourselves to follow him. And we saw in the book of Mark that the disciples' ideas of who Jesus was and following him didn't exactly match what Jesus' ideas were. And then after that message a couple weeks ago, I was struggling because even though Jesus had set his disciples straight, even though he told them what it would take to follow him, there's no indication after that that they're ready to do that. And if you remember, Jesus told his disciples that he was the Messiah. They liked that part. But he also told them that he came to suffer. They didn't like that. And Peter uh, specifically was rebuked by Jesus because uh, we remember Jesus refers to him as Satan. And to take it one step further, Jesus tells his disciples that they would have to deny themselves and take up their own cross. That, that following him meant they would have to suffer too. And there's no response recorded uh, to that revelation. And as you think about it, I really can't blame them for not responding after Peter's response and what happened to him. And so, if Jesus had gone to the cross right at this point in the book of Mark, I wonder, would the disciples have been willing to follow him and to sacrifice their lives as they would later on do? I don't know. I kind of think they wouldn't, uh, but we don't really know the answer to that question. But there's an even more troubling question for us, because... You and I know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that he's the King of Kings. We know that he came to sacrifice his life for us. And so are we now willing to deny ourselves and to follow him with all that we are? Well, I don't really know the answer to that question either. I hope so, but I'm not sure if we are. And so that that troubles me, which I was... I was very glad after that to read on and to know that that's not the end of the story. Um, There's more preparation needed and planned for the disciples here. And so, what else do you think is needed? The disciples have been told who Jesus is. They've been told what he came to do. They've been told what they would have to do. And so, all the information has been given to them. What else is necessary before the disciples willingly deny themselves and choose this road of suffering that's ahead of them? Well, from our text, we see they first need to experience God's glory. They need to be taken to the mountain. They need to have a mountaintop experience, if you will, where they see the glory of God. And you and I need that too. We need to see God's glory. We need to experience God's glory. And God is gracious enough to give us glimpses of himself, to give us, at times, mountaintop experiences where we clearly see his glory. And and this can happen a number of different ways. Sometimes it's a transformational moment where we just clearly see God and his hand at work. Other times it may be in a blessing or a high point of our life. You know, maybe the day that you get married or the birth of a child. Something that's excellent and worthy and 
You have to celebrate that. Something that you, you remember. Or perhaps it's a smaller blessing where you see God's glory emerging. But whatever it is, it's during those moments that you celebrate and you go, Ah, God, thank you. Thank you, God. And, and it's easy to be a Christian at those points, you know, to say, God is good. There's no doubt in your mind that God is blessing you because you see His goodness and you sense His glory. You experience it. And so my question this morning is, why does God let us experience His glory? Mark 8, verse 34, and then we're going to read into chapter 9, verse 8, and then we'll focus this morning on chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, and the whole transfiguration. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So, God's glory is seen clearly on the mountain. And I think the question that our text answers this morning is, Why does God let us experience his glory? God lets us experience His glory in our lives, first of all, to experience who He is. That's the first point, to experience who He is. Because if you remember, Jesus has already told them who He is, and they know who He is. Right? Isn't that enough? I mean, they know. He's the Messiah. You're the Messiah. They know that. Well, apparently, that's not enough. And you know what? It's not enough for you and I either. It's good. We need to know it. But we need more. But it's also possible for us to know who Jesus is, to have that information in our heads, which is good, but it doesn't make a lot of difference in our lives until we actually experience who Jesus is. And the good news is that God knows that about us as well, that we need to experience His glory. It's not just about knowing it. And so God is constantly revealing his glory to us in one way or another. Most of the time, we have to be looking for it. And if we're looking for his glory, we will see it eventually. And, and 
That may mean looking outside in his created world and seeing his glory out in that. It might mean our looking into the word of God constantly, um, looking for what he's saying and his revelations in the word of God. Or it, it may mean us asking God to reveal himself and his ways by the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I believe if we continue to look for God, he wants to reveal himself. He will reveal himself to us, and we will experience his glory in some part. Because he wants us to experience who he is. He knows that we need that. But often that means that we've got to look for it. We've got to look for him. Other times in our lives, and maybe you've had this, where, where you're not even looking and God breaks in and just reveals himself. He suddenly shows up, and we're surprised. We're amazed, right? God, you're in church today. Wow. You know, I mean, it sounds silly, but we are. Even though we know God is here, he's with us, when he shows us his glory, we become amazed and surprised. And I expect the disciples in our text this morning were that. It kind of indicates that to us. He lets us experience his glory so that we can experience who he is, first of all. And secondly, he lets us experience his glory to prepare us for the valleys. Second point, to prepare us for the valleys. If you're reading in Mark so far, being a disciple of Jesus has really been a series of high points along the way. But soon, as we keep reading in the book of Mark, Jesus is going to eventually descend into the valley of the shadow of death. And we're going to hear and read about how he was rejected as Lent and that season approaches this week. You're going to hear and and read about how he was weak, how Jesus suffered and he died for the sins of the world. And so we're going to walk with Jesus into that valley and we're going to see those difficult moments. But this mountaintop experience we hear about today, I believe, prepares his disciples and hopefully us as well for the valleys ahead. And it prepares us also, hopefully, for our personal valley, our personal valleys. Because as you see Jesus glorified here today, as you stand with the disciples and you see Jesus and his glory revealed... My hope is that you would be strengthened, that your faith would be encouraged, so that in the days ahead, whether you're going up to the mountaintop or down to the valley, you're strengthened in your faith. You have seen the glory of God. Look at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. And the word transfigure here means that Jesus' appearance uh, was completely changed. The other Gospels tell us his face changed. Verse 3, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Or transfiguration bleach. In a white that we couldn't even imagine. Another Gospel writer tells us that Jesus' clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And so at this moment, Jesus reveals his deity. He reveals that he's God, that he's holy, that he's the almighty God. And the brightness of his appearance is revealed to his disciples. And this is good. Because soon, we know the disciples are going to see Jesus dirty and bloody and weak and dying. 
And so during that time, it may seem as though Jesus is a lowly man. But here it's clear as he shines brighter than the sun that he is God, that he is holy, almighty, and powerful. Verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. These are two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Once again, really good for the disciples to see this. Because soon people would be saying that Jesus was against the prophets. That Jesus had nothing to do with the prophets. Fake news. But here it's very clear. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, they're speaking together. And verse 6 tells us that Peter and the disciples were frightened. I'm wondering this morning, have you ever been so nervous that words just kind of came out of your mouth? You, didn't, you felt like you had to say something, you didn't know what to say, and these words came out. I think that's what's happening with Peter here. He's so frightened, he's so nervous, and this is what he says. And, and I think it's fear because they're in the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, we know that God came to Israel in the form of a cloud as well. And in that setting, if people appear before God and they're unclean, what happens? They die. They die. And so Peter's likely thinking, I'm in the presence of God. I mean, not to mention Moses and Elijah, but sinful man can't be in the presence of God. This, 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 This is not good. We should set up some shelters or tabernacles here to protect us from the presence of God. But that idea wasn't even a possibility because Jesus was the bridge between God and man. And because of him, the disciples could be in the presence of God and not die. This is good because this would help and strengthen them as they continued on to follow Jesus into the valley and into the valley of the shadow of death. And I believe this helps you and I as well. As the season of Lent begins this week, uh, we're going to begin to watch Jesus battle with Satan. And we'll see him, of course, eventually die. But here, today, in our text, we're reminded that Jesus is the Son of God. That He's the Holy One spoken of by the prophets. And so even though He'll be suffering and dying... We're reminded that He is God, and that He is the Savior, that He's doing all these things to win our salvation. And we're also reminded that our life isn't one mountain peak after another. We want, we want it to be. But there are valleys there as well. There are troubles of life. There are difficult moments. Uh, when you're diagnosed with a disease, that's a valley. If a loved one dies, that's a valley. Maybe you're in a mini valley right now because of the winter that we're facing. I don't know. But during those hard things, it's more difficult for us to be a Christian. When you're in the valley, it's harder to say, God is good. Because sometimes our faith gets shaken. Sometimes we have doubts when we're in the valley that God is with us and that He's blessing us. God is preparing us by giving us a sense of His glory by allowing us to see glimpses of Him, to know Him. That strengthens our faith so that no matter if we're going up into the mountain or down in the valley, 
We know that God is God and that Jesus is God and that He's with us and He's not going to leave us and that He loves us and that He's good. And the valley does not shake us, as Doyle was talking about this morning. Our faith runs deep because we've experienced the glory of God. The disciples need this, and we need this, because right around the corner looms the valley of the shadow of death. In the days ahead, the crowds would turn against Jesus, right? He'd be betrayed and arrested and tortured. He'd be publicly condemned. He'd be executed in the most shameful way possible. And so the valley is right around the corner. And the disciples would be filled with fear and doubt that Jesus was was the Son of God indeed. And, And soon it might be difficult for them to be a disciple of Christ. And so here they are on the mountain. And this deep, dark valley is right around the corner. They have no idea. But it's coming. But Jesus is preparing them. And, and I believe that this prepares us as we experience the glory of God, as we see the glory of God, it prepares us for the difficult things ahead as well. Now, this morning, I don't know where you're at. You know, you may have come into the service this morning and you're like, I'm on the mountain. I'm experiencing God. I'm seeing Him. He's working in my life. I can see Him over here. I'm flying. Awesome. Good. Soak it in. Enjoy it. Remember it. Or maybe this morning you're coming in at a low point or you're on the level and you're like, I I haven't seen God. I'm looking for Him, but I don't see His glory. It's okay. It's okay. Hang in there. Hang on to your faith. and, And keep looking. Keep searching for the glory of God. He wants to reveal Himself to you. Uh, don't know where you're at. I don't know where you'll be at in two years. None of us do. But my point is that here we're reminded of the Savior's glory. Here we see Christ who's taken our sins away in the cross. He's risen from the dead. And we catch a glimpse of his glory even just for a moment. And it's good for us to seek God's glory. To look, at, to look for it in church or to look for it in God's word or to look for it in the events of your life, to see His glory on the mountain, because this is what strengthens us for the days ahead, for any valleys that may come. So, we're to be a people who seek to experience the glory of God, and God lets us experience who He is, so that He can strengthen us, so that He can prepare us for trials and difficulties ahead. And finally, we see that when we have experienced His glory... It causes a response in us. Verse 7. A cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And so the cloud comes down. And not only do the disciples not die, they're surrounded and embraced by the brilliance of God. And they hear God the Father speaking of His love for the Son, just as He did when Jesus was baptized at the beginning of the book of Mark. And then suddenly the cloud goes away. And they're left standing there, just blinking in the dim light of the mountaintop. And I believe they were in a state of electrified wonder. Wow. James, Peter, and John have just experienced worship in the fullest sense. God lets us experience His glory so that we can worship Him continually. 
We were made to worship Him, to see His glory and to praise and to lift Him up. Because worship is a preview of the thing that all of our hearts are longing for. Whether we realize it or not, we look for it in art. We look for it in music, in romance, in our families, our hobbies and sports. We look for God's glory. That's what our hearts long for. In his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says, The sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality, is part of our inconsolable secret. He says, And surely from this point of view, the promise of glory becomes highly relevant to our deepest desire. For glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of all things. Lewis says, The door on which we've been knocking all our lives will open at last. Then our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. He says, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. To fully experience the glory of God. To worship Him. And so, worship is not just believing. Before they went up on the mountain, we read that Peter, James, and John already believed in God, right? Peter had already said, you are the Christ. They knew it in their minds, but now they have sensed it. They have experienced it. The presence of God has enveloped them. They've had a foretaste of what Lewis says all of us are longing for, the very face and embrace of God. Because we were made to worship God. And when we experience His glory, it causes us to continue to worship Him continually. American evangelist Dwight Moody told a story, and I'll close with this story this morning, about uh, a Christian woman who was always bright and cheerful and optimistic, even though she was confined to her room because of an illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old rundown building. A friend decided to visit her one day, brought along another woman, uh, a person of great wealth. And since there was no elevator, the two ladies began the long climb upward. And when they reached the second floor, the well-to-do woman commented, What a dark and filthy place. Her friend replied, It's better higher up. When they arrived at the third floor landing, the remark was made, Things look even worse here. Again, the reply, It's better higher up. Finally, they reached the attic level where they found the bedridden saint of God, and they found a smile on her face showing the joy that filled her heart. And although the room was 
clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor couldn't contain herself as she looked at the surroundings. And finally, she blurted out, It must be very difficult for you to be here like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in responded, It will be better higher up. You see, right now, she was in the valley. But she wasn't looking at or focused on temporary things. Her eyes of faith were fixed on the eternal. And she had found the secret of true satisfaction and contentment. Where did she get this strength? Where did she get this perspective? She had been with Jesus. She had been in the Word. She had seen His glory on the mountaintop. And so this morning, my prayer and my hope is that God's glory may transform you in the same way as you seek Him, as you seek His glory, that you would fill up on that that you would seek that and fill up on God's glory and His presence, that you would experience that so that when the trials come, um, if Satan should tempt him uh, or should tempt you himself, you won't doubt the glory of the Lord and His goodness. And so, again, this morning, if you're on the mountaintop right now, wonderful. Soak it up. Enjoy seeing the presence of God and His hand moving If you're in the valley or on the level, know that He is God. Know that He's good and that He is with you. And that there's a height ahead of us so beautiful that we can't even imagine it. When we've experienced the glory of the Lord, when we see Him more clearly, we're more prepared to suffer for Him. We're moved to worship Him with all of our lives. And this is God's plan and His design.